Christ alone, our cornerstone. Amen? Today I want to talk to you about praying through chaos and praying through a crisis. You know, I, I, as I was studying this past week and going through last week's message on prayer, authority of binding and loosing, and what does that look like, and how does it look like, and how are we going to apply that to you know, our lives, I, uh, I started thinking about, but how is it that we truly pray, and how do we pray for one another, and how do we get through the times of chaos, and what are these emotions like? So in John chapter 11, uh, we'll be reading there here shortly, but if you want to turn in your Bibles, you can, and I would like to invite you to do that, but... We're talking today about the story of sisters, sisters who started to lose a sense of who they were, not understanding what was going on, had some expectations, and, uh, but felt that, you know, Jesus should have showed up, as we all do. We start praying. We don't want to pray for, you know, a year. We don't want to pray for five years. We don't want to pray for ten years. We want an answer immediately. Many of us want that, that prayer to be answered immediately. But if we understand that as we started off last week with the Lord's Prayer, it says, Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done. So even though we look at our lives and we say, God, we want your will to be done, we need to pray just like that. And in this story of Lazarus where he comes forth, I believe that faith was really put to the test. I believe that is when Jesus looked at Martha and Mary and said, remove the stone, what he was truly saying to them is, I want you to put your faith to the test. I want you to believe in something. And they're probably thinking to themselves, what are you talking about here? Our brother's dead. Where have you been? And I'm going to get into that this morning. But there was a song that really meant something to me. But as you turn in John chapter 11, verse 1, uh, many of you know I use the King James Version. Today we'll be out of the new King James Version, but you can follow with me on the screen or you can follow in your Bible as well. But I, I want to kind of read this text here. Then I want you to hear a song that was probably near and dear to my heart as a young man. But I think it probably is one of the greatest songs where it talks about Lazarus coming forth. But here's what it says in the scriptures, okay? It says, John chapter 11, verse 1. Now a certain man was sick, Lazarus of Bethany, the town of Mary and her sister Martha. It was Mary who anointed the Lord with fragrant oil and wiped his feet with her hair, whose brother Lazarus was sick. Therefore the sister sent to him, saying, Lord, behold, he whom you love is sick. Isn't that amazing? Stop for just a minute. He whom you love is sick. Let's continue in verse number four. When Jesus heard that, he said, the sickness is not in the death, but for the glory of God and the son of God may be glorified through it. Verse five, it says, now Jesus loved Martha and her sister and Lazarus. Here we are again. That word love is in there. All right. I'm going to get to it today in the message, but I just kind of want to highlight that for you this morning. Then after this, he said to the disciples. Oh, six. So when he heard that he was sick, he stayed two more days in the place where he was. I'm getting ahead of myself, aren't I? Verse number seven. See, now you know why I have to say these things all the time, right? Then after this, he said to the disciples, let us go to Judea, Judea again. The disciples said to him, Rabbi, lately the Jews sought to stone you. And are you going there again? Jesus answered, are there not 12 hours in the day? If anyone walks in the day, he does not stumble because he sees the light of this world. But if one walks in the night, he stumbles because the light is not in him. These things he said. And after that, he said to them, our friend Lazarus sleeps, 
but I go that I may wake him up. Now, in verse 11, I want you to do something. If you have your Bible, if you have a pen, a highlighter, I want you to do something in your Bible, and I want you to circle sleeps. There will be a reason for that later on in the message. But I want you to notice that this morning. It's kind of something a little different, but uh, it is theology and it is doctrine. And I want to kind of point that out to you if you've never seen it before. So we will revisit that again. And then it says in verse 12, Then his disciples said, Lord, if he sleeps, he will get well. Go ahead and circle that again. However, Jesus spoke of his death, but they thought that he was speaking about taking rest and sleep. Then Jesus said to them, uh, plainly, Lazarus is dead, and I am glad for your sakes that I was not there, that you may believe. Nevertheless, let us go to him. Then Thomas, who is called the twin, said to his fellow disciples, let us also go that we may die with him. So when Jesus came, he found that he had already been in the tomb four days. Now, Bethany was near Jerusalem, about two miles away. Interesting, isn't it? Jesus was that close to where Lazarus was at. They're talking two days journey, just a couple miles away. But here's what it says in verse 18. Now, Bethany was near back. Yeah. And many of the Jews had joined the women around Martha and Mary to comfort them concerning their brother. Now, Martha, as soon as she heard that Jesus was coming, went and met him and Mary was sitting in the house. Now, Martha said to Jesus, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. But even now, I know that whatever you ask of God, God will give you. Jesus said to her, your brother will rise again. Martha said to him, I know that he will rise again in the resurrection and at the last day. And yet Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection. I am the life. And he who believes in me, though he may die, he shall live. And in verse 26, and whoever lives and believes in me shall never die. Do you believe this? And she said to him, yes, Lord, I believe that you are the Christ, the son of God, who is to come into the world. And when she said these things, she went her way and secretly called Mary, her sister, saying, the teacher has come out and is calling for you. And as soon as she heard that, she rose quickly and she came to him. Now, Jesus had not yet come into the town, but was in the place where Martha met him. Then the Jews who were with her in the house and comforting her, when they saw that Mary rose up quickly and went out, followed her, saying, she's going to the tomb to weep there. Then when Mary came where Jesus was and saw him, she fell down at his feet, saying to him, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. Interesting correlation. Both sisters said the same thing. And I'll say again, somebody was talking, right? So in verse 33, therefore, when Jesus saw her weeping and the Jews who came with her weeping, he groaned in the spirit and was troubled. And it says, and he said, where have you laid him? They said to him, Lord, come and see. And it says, my most favorite verse, John 11:35. I was really proud when I memorized the longest verse in the whole Bible. John 11:35. Jesus wept. Then the Jews said, see how he loved him. In verse 37, and some of them said, could not this man who opened the eyes of the blind also have kept this man from dying? Then Jesus, again groaning in himself, came to the tomb. It was a cave and a stone lay against it. And Jesus said, take away the stone, Martha, the sister of him who was dead, said to him, Lord, by this time there is a stench for he has been dead four days. 
Jesus said to her, did I not say to you that if you would believe you would not see, you would see the glory of God? Then they took away the stone from the place where the dead man was lying. And Jesus lifted up his eyes and said, Father, I thank you that you have heard me. And I know that you always hear me, but because of the people who are standing by, I said this, that they may believe that you sent me. Now, when he had said these things, he cried with a loud voice, Lazarus, come forth. And he and many, I'm sorry, and he who had died came out bound hand and foot with graves clothes and his face was wrapped with a cloth. And Jesus said to them, loose him and let him go. And many of the Jews who had come to Mary and had seen the things Jesus did believed in him. But some of them went away to the Pharisees and told them the things Jesus did. Then the chief priests and the Pharisees gathered a council and said, What shall we do for this man works many signs? If we let him alone like this, everyone will believe in him and the Romans will come and take away both our place and nation. And one of them... Caiaphas, being the high priest that year, said to them, You know nothing at all, nor do you consider that is expedient for us that one man should die for the people and not that the whole nation should perish? Now this he did not say on his own authority, but being a high priest that year, he prophesied that Jesus would die for the nation, and not for that nation only, but also that he would gather together in one the children of God who were scattered abroad. Then from that day on, they plotted to put him to death. So Jesus, therefore, he no longer walked openly among the Jews, but went from there into the country near the wilderness to a city called Ephraim. And there remained with his disciples. And the Passover of the Jews was near, and many went from country up to Jerusalem before the Passover to purify themselves. Then they sought Jesus and spoke among themselves as they stood in the temple. What do you think? That he will not come to the feast. And then in verse 57, now both the chief priests and the Pharisees had given a command that if anyone knew where he was, he should report it, that they might seize him. You know, it's interesting that when you look into this prayer and you look into the life of Jesus, Jesus actually was representing his father. He did not raise Jesus from the grave. Did you hear what he did? He cried out to his father. And he asked of his father to raise his friend. Let's pray and then listen to this video. Father, thank you this morning for your word. Father, thank you for... Revealing yourself to us. Father, thank you that we have the word of God that breathes life and love. And Father, we need, uh, we need your truths this morning. So help me, Father, to be able to explain this and to, to bring to life uh, the story of Lazarus. The faith story between two sisters. And then also the theology that comes with knowing who Jesus is. And understanding who the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit is. So, Father, today I pray that you'll hide me behind the cross. Speak through me. And, Lord, let your word not come back void. But, Father, I ask that it'll prosper to every heart and soul that's in this room. In Jesus' holy name I pray. Amen. To do that. Heartbroken, tears falling. Martha found Jesus. 
Jesus. She questioned why Lazarus had died. When she had thus spoken, her doubts were then silenced. He walked toward the body and cried, Lazarus, come. stop crying her brother now stood by her side the Pharisees wondered about what had happened how could one now live who had died the reason this story gives hope to so many is all I know the bishops personally, and they have a heart for the Lord. No longer are they together, but uh, when I heard them, even in person, uh, sing that song, it was very, very powerful. And I remembered even as a young man just thinking, wow, Jesus has spoken. The chains have been broken. My child, come forth. Isn't that powerful? You know, when you use the name of Jesus, there's just power in the name of Jesus. Amen? So we're talking today about praying through chaos praying through a crisis 
So you say to me, Pastor, so what is a crisis? A crisis is when you're overwhelmed by negative events or maybe even situations or circumstances causing you to feel maybe even helpless or even hopeless. This is where the events that are overwhelming you are beating you at your well-being. They're just beating you down. Whether it's a health crisis, maybe it's a family crisis, maybe it's a monetary crisis. For some of you, maybe you've said, I've dealt with some mental crisis in my life. It's just beating you down. And there isn't a solution. Clearly in sight. But where do you go when your life is in a crisis. In other words, none of the places you look to resolve it can actually even help you. And that's our situation this morning in John chapter 11. I want to set the stage for you this morning. We read in John chapter 11, but we'll reference some of the scriptures that I read this morning. We see that Lazarus is sick, right? We know the story. And I'm not going to say that, oh, God gave me some wonderful truth and it's going to be different than any other pastor that's ever preached it before. But I saw some truths in the Word of God and hopefully we can apply that and understand prayer in a different dynamic, right? And we know from this story that he's sick. But it says he's what? He's sick unto death. Because it would only be a few days later that what would happen? He would die. So he's not just sick, he's seriously sick. And whatever medical help there was, was insufficient to resolve the problem of his medical crisis. So what Martha and Mary did, the sisters of Lazarus, here's what they did. They went to Jesus. They sent word to Jesus. Many of us would call that today what? They prayed. They called on him and they prayed. They sent word to Jesus. Jesus, listen, our family member has a crisis. This is a life and death crisis. And we're crying to you to resolve this crisis. I want you to observe something this morning. We're told in verse 3, some of their prayer requests, it says this. The one whom you love is sick. Lord, behold, he whom you love is sick. Then it goes into verse number 5. Now Jesus loved Martha and her sister and Lazarus. So evidently, evidently, spiritual people do get sick, right? They had a love relationship. Jesus loved them and they loved Jesus. Yet he still got sick. So don't ever let anybody tell you just because you have trouble means God is far away. Or you're not in fellowship with God. I just read they're in fellowship with God. But he got sick. So what did they do? They prayed. They sent word to Jesus, the one whom you love is sick and the one whom you love is sick and it's very very serious and jesus sends back a word and here's what he says in verse four this sickness is not to end in death but for the glory of god so that the son of god may be glorified now right there is some theology for you he says first of all I've got good news for you, bad as it is, this sickness is not unto death, but God wants to get something out of it. 
So let me give you and me and some of us in this room just a little theology this morning. A little nature of God. And whatever the sicknesses you're facing, the scenario or the crisis that you will face, God will allow things in our lives that are not preferential to us, but are what? But are glorifying to Him. Remember just a few weeks back, people talked about where God healed them through prayer? It wasn't about them, it was about glorifying God. Amen? And so they shared those stories. And this sickness is not unto death, but it is for the glory of God. So one of the questions this morning that you must ask and answer in prayer when you're in, and when I'm in, and we're in a crisis, is you must answer the question, God, what glory do you want from my crisis? But I got a problem. My problem is verse 6. And here's what he said in verse 6. When he heard he was sick, he stayed two days longer in the place where he was at. Come on, Jesus. I told you my brother is sick and you even know it's not unto death because you told me he's not going to die. And now you're not going to hurry up? Has God ever delayed on you when you're in a crisis? Have you ever felt that way? Like, where are you at? What's taking you so long? Because why? You need it right now. And he hanging back for two more days. He's not moving like you need him to move. Want him to move. Feeling he should move. Cry for him to move. He's not moving. He stays two days. But you see here, it gets worse. Where Jesus was and where Martha and Mary were, they were two miles apart. So not only does he delay, he delays and he's that close. Now I can understand. You know, you're across town. And he essentially is the son of God. And I probably won't even understand that, but at least in our humanity and in our humanity, if you're on the other side of town, you've got to take a donkey. I got you. It's going to take a minute to get. But you're down the street, Jesus. You don't want to walk, get a ride. But you can get a horse, a carriage, or get your 12 disciples to carry you. You're only two miles away. You're close. And you don't come and you delay two days after I've prayed. Now watch, because they've already talked to Jesus. It says that in the scripture. They already talked to Jesus. They've already put up their prayer request Listen, church, here's where this story gets more and more interesting. After two days, Jesus tells his disciples, let's go to Judea. Let's go, guys. Then he says something else, a new term for Christians in verse 11. He said to them, our friend. He calls him his friend, our friend. Because remember, Lazarus is close to Jesus. Our last... Our friend Lazarus has fallen asleep, but I go so that I may awake him out of his sleep. Now you see in verse 13. Now Jesus had spoken of his death, but he doesn't say he died. He said he's sleeping. Interesting. And this is a different terminology. This is new. For you see the word sleep is only used of Christians in the Bible. It's not used as general public, only used of Christians. 
so Christians sleep. Whether God brings you back in this life or takes you to the next life, you're not only transferring consciousness, you're not losing existence, and you're transferring that consciousness into the will of God. And this is new terminology. But here's what messes me up. Can I tell you guys what messes me up? Can I tell you what messes me up? Thank God you're awake this morning. One thing messed me up. Two days. Come on. Jesus, just hurry up. The second thing that messed me up, you know, and he's all about numbers. Do you ever notice that in the Bible? And I know I've spoken on numbers different here, three, five, seven, and all the, you know, numbers of perfection, so on and so forth. But not only is he just two miles away, I mean, he's not only just, you know, the, the two miles away, what messes me up? He said, the next thing messes me up here in verse 15, watch. It says, and I'm glad for your sakes that I was not there. Come on now, how are you going to be happy about it? There are two sisters, Martha and Mary, and both sisters have the same question. But here's what they do. They approach the question differently. And here's what it says in verse 21. Now Martha said to Jesus, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. Now verse 32, here's what it also reads. Then when Mary came where Jesus was and saw him, she fell down at his feet saying to him, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. Those are the exact same words, both sisters, which means they have discussed Jesus. How many of you discuss Jesus around the table? Sometimes people have issues and they talk about things and we don't realize really what we're saying here. But wait a minute. Let me make sure I'm being relevant for everybody this morning. Anybody here ever felt God has let you down? Sure. God. Where are you, God? To put it in other words, don't you care? Don't you care what's going on in my crisis? You're this close and stay two days longer and you're glad about it? Doesn't make sense. She lets her emotions appropriately, respectfully, but clearly be enunciated in her prayer because she's talking to Jesus just like you and I would talk to him. She has him physically. For many of us today, we have Jesus spiritually. But it's a conversation with Jesus in the midst of this crisis. But she does something else here that we can see in scriptures. And I don't want you to miss this. Remember. I'm trying to walk you through this passage theologically. Because after she expresses her disappointment, she goes on to say in verse 22, But even now I know that whatever you ask of God, God will give to you. And even now I know that whatever you ask of God, God will give it to you. Now listen. I don't want you to miss this. Jesus in verse 21, he says, I'm hurting because I needed you and you didn't come. But however, in spite of my pain, I know my beliefs. And if you can call on the Father now, as bad as the situation is, he will still honor your request. So she, she actually marries, uh, and watch this, she marries her emotions with her theology. And here's what Jesus then says to her, your brother will rise again. And Jesus 
And she says to Jesus, yeah, I know. I learned that theology, went to eschatology class, and on the last day he's going to rise. I know, and, and I'm familiar with that. I know all about that. And Jesus hits her with another theology. You okay with where I'm going with theology this morning? Okay, just want to make sure. Because I want to ground you and I want to root you in what's going on. And here's what Jesus says. I am the resurrection and the life. And he who believes in me will live even if he dies. What we see here is doctrine is critical, but doctrine which is the principle or knowledge or system information and beliefs, when you don't understand what the word doctor means, is always to lead to a person. And if all you get is doctrine, you may be heavy in the hand with information, but light on your experiences. You may know about the resurrection, but you've never experienced one. Because he says the resurrection that's doctrinal is tied to a person. So here's my point this morning. The written word must always lead you to the living word. The written word must always lead you to the living word. You need the doctrine to know what to believe. You need the person to make it experiential in your belief. And he says what? I'm the resurrection. He says at the end of verse 26, do you believe this? He goes on and says, this is going to be critical. This is going to be, this will change your life. Do you believe this? She says, yes, I believe this. You are the Christ. You're the son of God who comes into the world. Now it's Mary's turn. Mary's now coming over to Jesus. She's too, and is well disappointed. And let's tell the truth. Sometimes you're so disappointed with Jesus, you don't want to talk to him. Do you believe that this morning? You don't want to pray no more. Okay. Because he's not moving. He came too late, should have been here yesterday. Okay, that kind of thing. So she doesn't want to talk. So Jesus calls her and he says, Mary, come on, come on, come and talk to me now. He bids us come. So she gets up quickly. He invited her, and then she tells him in verse 32, if you would have been here, my brother would not have died. Now, in verse 33, it says here that everybody was crying, that everybody was weeping, that there was trouble. Here's, we, here's where we are at the most important part of this story. So now Jesus raises the question, where have you laid him and where is he buried? So they come to take Jesus to where he was buried. and He's stirred up, says in verse 38. He's deeply moved within. He's moved at the sin and the pain that the world offers that creates sickness in the first place. See, listen, church, without sin, there would be no sickness, not personal sin necessarily, but as, I would say atmospheric sin, the germs, the viruses, the bacteria that we've all experienced that infiltrate our body, the toxins, all of that is the environmental repercussions of sin. 
It says, and he was stirred up in the crisis that we were in and the reasons for it. So he says, stay with me here. Verse 39, Martha removed the stone. Martha's response, and Martha said to him, Lord, by this time there will be a stench, for he has been dead four days. Let me read that to you. Jesus said, take away the stone, Martha. Uh, The sister of him who was dead said to him, Lord, by this time there is a stench, for he has been dead four days. You remember that delay? So we see it here in Scripture. So by this time, he's stinking. But Jesus says, remove the stone. And she says, let me give you a lesson in mortuary science. He's been dead for four days. Like Jesus didn't know that. And for those that understand what rigor mortis is, and I'll explain it to you. Rigor mortis is set in, which actually means that the cells have collapsed. And when rigor mortis sets in and the cells collapse, it releases a green substance. You're glad I'm getting into detail here, right? When this green substance is released because rigor mortis is set in, it's because the cells have collapsed that produces a stench because of the decay, because of the body rotting. He says to her, did I not say to you? And he said, remove the stone. And what did he tell her? He said, did not I say to you, if you believe you would see the glory of God? In other words, here it is. Watch church and we'll make this relevant for all of us. Faith must always precede sight. Faith must always precede sight. Amen. Once you put sight in front of faith, once you put sight in front of faith, once you put sight, yeah, uh uh-huh, once you put sight in front of faith, you've negated faith. Faith is based on what you do not see, amen? If you got to see it first, you won't see it. And how would she demonstrate faith? Certainly not by a feeling, but by removing the stone because faith is not a feeling. It's an action. And faith is acting like God is telling the truth. It's acting like it is so even when it's not so in order that it might be so simply because God said so. So you move in faith even when you don't feel it. And sometimes you're going to feel faithish. Got faith all over you. You're just feeling it. Sometimes you won't ever feel faithish. But you can know you're operating in faith. Why? Because you're moving the stone. So some of us have situations that have not changed. The thing that God told us to do that we refuse to do, which keeps the stone there, which means there's no faith no matter how much church you have. So then Jesus raised his eyes and here's what he said. Father, I thank you. Father, Abba, Father, Daddy, I thank you that you have heard me. That's also theology right there. You're praying through a crisis. You're talking to God. But here's what you want. You want Jesus talking to God for you. So you've got to talk to him first. But what you want is Jesus to ditto the request. Then not until there was an act of faith, Jesus says to his father, I thank you that you have heard me. He didn't say, I thank you that you hear me. I thank you that you heard me, which means 
we've already discussed this crisis. I already know what chaos is going on in your life. I get it that Lazarus is in. And when they pray first, the first time at the beginning of chapter 11, you and I, he says, Father, had a conversation. Then it says, oh, Martha and Mary, they have a sick brother. They want us to do something. So he says, Father God, he says, Abba, Father, Daddy, Martha and Mary just came to me and they had a conversation. They want us to do something about their brother Lazarus. So let's talk about how we're going to handle this situation. Well, son, you know what? We can handle, we can actually use this crisis as an opportunity for me to have greater glory. So son, son, so here's what we're going to do. As soon as they demonstrate faith, then we're going to let this thing roll out because they have. Now listen, church, here's, here's the key. Did you know when you first talked to God a year ago about that problem, he and the son have already discussed that? Interesting, isn't it? They're already dis- they've already discussed it. It's already been said. It's been spoke about. They know about it. But the son is not praying for the implementation until faith has been demonstrated. Until faith has been demonstrated. So now Jesus prays. I thank you. You've heard me. I know that you always hear me. But because of the people standing around, I said it is so that they might believe that you sent me. Ah. Now we got a clue. Jesus holds off. On answering prayer because he wants to use the crisis to bring a lot of people to what? To salvation in Jesus. And so now, there's a spiritual reason for a crisis delay in spite of a prayer being prayed because there's a bigger kingdom purpose at work than just the healing of Lazarus. Ooh, that's good. If you're in a crisis... And God is not moved, and you're operating by faith. All that means is the delay is tied to a bigger point that God wants to accomplish for his glory. The amplification of the name of his son and the advancement of his kingdom. So what do you do? You keep praying through the crisis. You keep praying and praying and praying through the chaos. You pray through the crisis. If you've not heard no, then you keep praying. So Jesus prays. And you know what that's actually called, church? That's called intercession. In Hebrews chapter 7, verse 24 and 25, here's what it says. And I'll have, if you will, please bring that up on the screen. And it says, but he, because he continues forever, has an unchangeable priesthood. Therefore, he is also able to save to the uttermost those who come to God through him, since he always lives to make intercession for them. And when Jesus intercedes as our counselor, he goes before us and he delivers us out of a stinky situation. Because guess what he says in verse 43? Lazarus, come forth. So Lazarus walks out of the tomb. Well, he doesn't just like walk out of the tomb. He kind of walks out of the tomb. Just kind of walks out of the tomb, right? And here's my final point this morning. So now he's exiting the tomb, right? And as he's exiting the tomb, the man who had died came forth bound hand and foot 
with wrappings. His face was wrapped around with a cloth, and Jesus said to them, Unbind him and let him go. Do you hear what Jesus said? Unbind him and let him go. Hmm. Wait a minute. Lazarus has life, but what he doesn't have is freedom because why? He's bound. Can you say that again, preacher? Sure. Lazarus has life, but what he doesn't have is freedom because why? He is His hands were bound. His feet was bound. He's wrapped like a mummy. You wrap a mummy. He's wrapped from head all the way to the toe. So he has life, but he does not have liberty. Everybody here this morning who is a Christian, that means you have life. But not everybody who's a Christian has liberty. You may be bound by addiction. You may be bound by an emotional struggle. You may be bound by a health situation. Something may be holding you hostage even though you have life. Now watch this. Jesus gave him life. But Jesus did not directly give him liberty. He said that he told them to unloose him and let him go. So let me explain something. Jesus Christ wants to give every sinful person eternal life. He offers life through who? Through his blood. But he sets, he sets folks free through what? Through his people. He still does it. But he does it through his people. That's why God wants every Christian to be an active part of a local church. So that you can be unwrapped if you're trapped. I'm going to write a book on that. I just thought it kind of rhymed. You're going to be unwrapped if you're trapped. Or so you can unwrap somebody else if you have been unwrapped yourself. That's what Thursday night's about. That's what Sunday mornings are about. That's what accountability's about. That's what's coming together as brothers, as sisters, as children to the mighty name of Jesus Christ to say, Lord, I need you and I need help, but I need these people. Because remember, we're two or more gathered in my name. There I'm in the midst. God never meant for you to come once a week to hear somebody preach the Bible alone. He wants you to be part of a family so you can be in the unwrapping, the untying, the deliverance business so that you can help or you can be helping somebody else as somebody helps you. That's what the church is supposed to be. It's not just a weekly event. It is a family relationship where folks are being loosed and they are being set free. Amen. I know there are many here today that are dealing with crisis here. But I want you to pray through it. And even if it's gotten worse and not better, because I want to let you know right now that God can turn things around for his own purpose. Amen. It says, and we know all things work together for good to them that love God and are called according to his purpose. I'm going to say this and I'm going to close. I'm sure that many of you in this room would agree with me of this statement. Life hurts. Many times, 
circumstances in our lives bring tears to our eyes, hurt to our hearts, and sadness to our emotions. Fact. For some of you here today, maybe for some that are listening, you feel like God has missed it and He's made a mistake by allowing the travail, the trials, the circumstances, and the pain that life brings our way. And see, when life throws a curveball at you, that's not the time to run from the Lord. That's the time to run to Him. That's the time to ask Him the questions without questioning Him. But ask Him, Lord, Lord, why are you allowing me to hurt like this and hurt this long or this bad or maybe this deep? Why am I going through this? But the good news is this. That Jesus, our great high priest, and we saw it here, he knows how to cry with us. He knows how to shed tears because why? He's felt the weaknesses. He's felt the loneliness. He has felt the hurt, the pain, the rejection, and the crucifixion that life brings our way. See, when we talk to the Father, He joins us. He partners with us to intercede alongside of us. To ask for help from heaven to the hurts of earth. But church, listen to me. I don't want you to have to hurt, and I don't want you to hurt alone. You have a Savior who loves you. You have a Savior who cares for you. You have a Savior who cries for you. He cries with you, who walks with you, who prays with you. When you remember that as tears roll down your eyes because life hurts, you just remember you're never, ever hurting alone. Go to God in prayer with your pain. Go to God with your honesty. Just know you're not going to Him alone. Do you receive that this morning? Amen. Let's rise to our feet and let us pray. Our precious Heavenly Father, Lord, we love you and we thank you that, Lord, we can come to you. That, Lord, you're here with us. That, Lord, that you're interceding on our behalf. Father God, we thank you that Jesus sits at the right hand. And, Lord, we just come to you today, Lord. There might be somebody in this room that's dealing with such chaos and crisis in their life. Lord, maybe we don't see light at the end of this dark dark hole that we've been in but lord i know that you're talking about it lord that you see it and you're not intimidated by it so father we come to you today and lord we bring this crisis before you we ask for deliverance we ask for binding we ask for loosing and father we know and we've seen it and we live it lord that lord we are not dead for christians Many of us might be asleep. Lord, you said that you are the resurrection, that you're the life. So, Father, we come before you today. We ask back from you, give us life. Let us enjoy the joys of our salvation. And for some that may not know you, may they come to know Jesus as Lord and Savior today. May they admit, Lord, that they're just a sinner. May they believe that you are the son of the most high God, and that you came and that you died. Lord, that may they confess who you are. 
May they believe in their heart. Confess with their mouths, Lord Jesus. Father, thank you that, Lord, there is deliverance. There is hope in you. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you for lifting our burden. Thank you for healing us. Thank you for delivering us. Thank you, Father, for seeing us through. God, we come to you today, and we won't stop praying. We know you're just a prayer away. In Jesus' name I pray, amen.